The Commentary Booth is a show for media lovers by media lovers just like you. If you want to support the show, go to pariomagazine.com.au. Welcome to the Commentary Booth, where we watch and you guessed it, commentate on the week that was in movies and TV. I'm your host and play-by-play commentator Jamie Apps, and each week I'm joined by a rotating cast of colour commentators to help you find your next viewing treat. This week I'm joined by a freelance social commentator who lists their favourite movie as American Psycho and favourite TV show as Yellowstone. Welcome back to the show, The Hat Collector, Blake Robinson. Uh, Jamie, Apps, thank you for having me. Yeah, look... I don't know. It just feels like I'm constantly talking to you about movies, TV shows. It's been a whirlwind few weeks for us, hasn't it? Yeah, the July has been pretty full on. Yeah, and just before I jumped on to record this, I was like, "What are we? Uh, what are we talking about today?" It was a Barbie. Like, no, we already did that. Oppenheimer. No, we did that. That came out. Um, ah, that's right. The Bear. Yep. One of the greats. Yep, season two of The Bear. Very excited to chat about that. Bro, 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 bro. I just, I don't know. I don't know. We've obviously jumped straight into it here. I think that's just how excited we are to talk about this masterpiece. Mm-hmm. Before we sort of dig into it, though. Oh, I know, I know, I know. I need to reel it back. We'll just uh, recognize that Pario Magazine stand in solidarity with the WGA and SAG-AFTRA in their fight for better working conditions and pay our Publication has always been focused on the creative brilliance of these individuals rather than on the business of film and TV. As such, we will continue to highlight their talents during this time so that their contribution to our entertainment are not overlooked. Uh, Another little note on the strike. As of recording, we are one week away from the strike hitting 100 days, which was the length of the last writer's strike in 2007 and 2008. So that will be the day this podcast comes out, August 9th. The strike will hit 100 days. Two days later, the strike will hit 14 and a half weeks, which is the average length of a writer's guild strike. But then on October 2nd, the strike would hit 153 days which would make it the longest strike in history since 1988. So looks like we could be in for a big gap. My uneducated opinion is going to tell me that they're going to uh, exceed that this time around. Yeah, well, a lot of the streaming platforms and studios have pretty much said they're not coming back to negotiate anytime soon, so I can't see us. Mm. I'm pretty sure we'll hit that 153-day mark with ease which is sad. So I've got two notes on that. First one, completely irrelevant to what we're talking about today, but relevant to the strikes. Did you know, apologies, because I've forgotten his name, uh, Stifler from American Pie. Help me out here. Uh, Sean William Scott. That's who it is. Sean William Scott. He was only paid $6,000 to do American Pie. Yep. Barbaric. That was his salary to film a movie. <laughs> I read that and I was like, whoa. And that was probably as good six week of shooting. That was just the salary for like shooting. Like obviously it would have made like quarter of a billion at the box office, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. But he's up front. That was that. 
Uh, just barbaric, really. And his residuals at that point, because he was sort of just breaking in, wouldn't have been very high. He's probably getting a half a percent or something. He legitimately didn't do anything else off American Pie. Eh? Maybe like one movie I'm thinking of, but I can't remember it. He's done a few things, but yeah, that's the most notable role. No one came out of American Pie to that, except like Jennifer Coolidge, who's just had a huge resurgence. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I can't think of anyone else. The band camp girl, she's been in a few things, but none of the others really did much. No, um, which I don't mind because they're my American Pie people. And if I seen them as something else, I'll be like, no, that's not, <laughs> this isn't right. Anyway, I'm not here to talk about American Pie today. What we are here to talk about is the bear. And I actually had something relevant to say about the bear as well and the strike action. That's right. Um, do you think because the bear got dropped all at once in like a binge pattern, as they would call it, all 10 episodes got released at the same time, do you think we might start seeing some shows quickly released like that now just to get them out there before any further action is taken and that which may stop them from getting released at all? No, I think if anything, the streaming platforms will probably try to... We'll want to stagger it out and drip feed content. They'll shift back to let's let's put everything yeah, out on a sure. weekly basis so that we can... Mm. A show like this would have got them 10 weeks of something. Yeah. No, I'm here now. As a viewer, I enjoy the binge system of let's just put everything out. But when it's a show this good, I also feel like it's kind of robbed of being in the conversation for six weeks instead of this should have been the talking point of entertainment for 10 weeks. And really it was the talking point for a weekend. I literally sent a tweet about this last night saying how this show has been robbed of that very privilege. Like people just been talking about it for a few weeks when it got released and that's it. Yep. Um, I'm on the fence about this. Yes, I do like, anxiously waiting until Monday night, Thursday night when a new episode of a show comes out. It's something to look forward to. Um, You can appreciate it a lot more. In saying that, that's candy for shows with an hour-long episodes. Mm -hmm. Uh, The bear seems to jump around a bit. It isn't really a set. Like They're all around the 30-minute mark, except episode six of one of the greatest TV show episodes of all time, fame, goes for an hour. Then a couple of the later ones sort of go for like 40 minutes or so. Yeah. A bit all over the place in that aspect, but I don't know how I feel about waiting a whole seven days for a, like a 30-minute episode, especially when the first few episodes, so several episodes of The Bear were a bit slower and I really started to question how different this is to the first season and at that stage of viewing season two, how slow it was progressing. I thought, okay, we are strapping in for four or five seasons of this show. That's the vibe I got early on. I think we're probably still going to get multiple seasons to come from this show, but... um. Oh, we're definitely getting another one. I, we want to be getting another one. Know that. Yeah. What I took from those opening episodes was the sort of the theme and the feel of the show was shifting because that first season was... Was it only six episodes? I don't think it was 10, was it? I don't think it was 10. I said this when we originally reviewed The Bear, the season one. It felt like that whole first season was, instead of a pilot episode, it was a pilot season. Yeah. Which the whole, it was like an introduction, a prelude to season two, which essentially is the show, The Bear. Yeah, season one was 
eight episodes. Uh, like I said, if you haven't already seen season one, you probably shouldn't be listening to this, but go back and watch that and it will perfectly set up season two for you and you understand what I'm talking about. But back on what I was saying, it was a very slow start. I had, yeah, I had fears for where this was going. Um, but yeah, it quickly ramped up you, with, like I said, the, you can thank the hour long episode six for that. Mm-hmm. And that's where like the feel of the show shifted to like the tone because big time that first season was really fast paced, frenetic and like anxiety inducing. Mm-hmm. Whereas this second season was much more toying with the heartstrings and emotions. Let's slow it down. Let you like really watch these characters develop and get to know their backstories more without like that impending dread and doom. It was more a sense of like hope and excitement for the future. And then mm-hmm. those last like three or four episodes, we go, Oh no, this is, this is what you're used to with the bear. Yeah. It was, um, without touching on it too early, those last few episodes were pretty full on. Uh, but yeah, just winding back to, like it really ramping up in those backstories. I think, yeah, that was like, it's almost felt like the what, one to five was like part one. Then it's like, they took like a season break, like a, a break over fall or whatever. And we'll be back in a few months with part two of season two. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel as though if they were drip fending episodes, that's how they probably would have done this. Whether or not they left people hanging on episode six or episode six would have then been the introduction to part two of season two. But either way, it was like oh, it was a complete throwback episode, wasn't it? Um, we get a lot of like backstory on the characters. There's a couple of celebrity cameos, I will say. Um, potentially one of the probably the I'm going to say the performance of season two. Jamie Lee Curtis, take a bow. Oh, yeah. her performance is great. Isn't she exceptional? Unbelievable. She nails that character. So she's. Carmen Kami's mother. So she gets introduced. We find a lot about uh, the family dynamic mm-hmm. within that restaurant, um, which I'll say is pretty damn messed up. Yeah, it, it's been messed up from the beginning. And who else have we got? Is it the um, Sarah Paulson, I believe? Uh, yeah, she's one of the cousins. A cousin, a partner-in-law, something of that lick. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, strange one. Bob Odenkirk is in that episode as well from uh, Breaking Bad. Saul Goodman. Which one? Which family member? Uh, he's Uncle Lee, the one that like gets into the fork fight. The one who gets forked. Oh, I don't like that guy. So I was thinking today, shower thought, who, who, what relation was the uncle? Is he the uh, Jamie Lee Curtis, the mother character's brother? Is that what was going on there? I don't think he's like an actual uncle. I think it's like the... The Bezardos, their uh, whole thing of like, they just call friends, family friends, uncle and cousin when they're not actually cousins. Yeah, I like the, the uh, consistent use of the term cousin in this. Cousin! I initially thought he was um, the Jamie Lee Curtis character's um, partner, like ex-partner, sort of separated situation. Mm, yeah, no, I don't think so. No. Uh, but yeah, there's still some relationships within this family that I do not completely understand. Yeah. Uh, what did you think of um, Carmen's sister? I apologize. I have forgotten her name. Is it Natalie? Natalie. Yep. The 
project manager who ends up running the restaurant, she sort of is a backseat character, flashes on and off in season one from memory, and she's heavily, heavily involved in this season two. Yeah, she gets roped into being full-time at the restaurant, even though she kind of doesn't want to, but they kind of just, oh, can you just help us? And then all of a sudden she's there every day. Who are, while we're speaking about celebrities, Will Powter. Yep. Uh, he's so unsettling, I think. I cannot, I'm just scarred for life. I'm sure you know the role I'm thinking of from Where the Millers. I don't know if I've seen that movie. Oh my God, it's probably one of the funniest movies ever. Anyway. Will Poulter, I just think well, of you, you don't Guardians know. of the Galaxy now. True. Uh, he plays a very intense chef uh, in Copenhagen. Mm-hmm. Chef Luca. Chef Luca, who we, I'm not sure if we found out at that stage, but we did find out later on he worked with Carmen. Yeah, so. We- that, f- that photo on the wall. I'm not sure if that was clear throughout the show. No, the episode where, when we're introduced to him, he's just someone that Carmen knows and he sends Marcus to go and train under him because he's like a world-renowned pastry chef. So he's like, oh, go to, go to Copenhagen, train under Luca. And Luca talks a lot about his thing was find someone better than you and just hang on and try to keep up. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, later, I think in episode eight or nine, we see a photo and we realize that Kami was the chef that was better than him and he just clung to him. Look, we knew this in season one too, and in season two we also get relearnt that Kami had street cred in the restaurant game, in the fine dining chefs. He is the guy. He's the guy. I really hope in future seasons we really start seeing more of that storyline and more of his past. I think his past is the one that we don't find out about at all. So that, I don't know. We're sort of got drip fed some of his past demons and some of like what he's really like as a person because we see him on screen as the character like the guy he's doing everything he's moving pawns on the chessboard but as the main character we don't find out next to anything about him do we and i think that plays into his character too where he's been traumatized by his past yeah and he's been traumatized like he he doesn't want to revisit it so because he doesn't want to revisit it we don't get to revisit it as viewers which I think is very cool. Back on what I was saying, I really hope we do find out more about his working past and all these, like the reputation he does have in the scene. Because mm-hmm. he's they, they do, are teasing us and they do show us little bits of like how well-known and well-respected he was in the industry. So I do hope we find out more about that. Uh, we have a Tina returning as well. Like pretty much the entire cast returned for this, which is great. Mm-hmm. There was no... Well, let's just, we have to recast this person. So everyone came back. Maddie Matheson's back for you, Maddie Matheson lovers out there. And in like, he plays a much bigger role in this one, this season too. He's, he's, he's in everything, isn't he? Tina, we get to see her sort of growing in confidence this season. She's happy to be sort of promoted to sous chef. And yep. she's sort of, she has a real strong bond with Sid and Kami now. And she's another mis- like mystery character too, isn't she? Yeah, we really don't have much backstory on her. She was just a person that was working in the restaurant, but now she's like growing in confidence and she's undergone like formal training now. And she's, she's someone not to be traveled with because she, like when she gets the, the new chefs and the, they're all under her, she's quite intimidating. Oh, yeah. You just mentioned Sid there. Um, I just want to offer a very 
probably unpopular opinion about Sid. Mm-hmm. Um, she irritates the hell out of me. I do not like that character at all. What? I cannot stand her. I cannot. There's something about her I cannot stand. I just the way they've portrayed her as have this attitude and like stubbornness and arrogance and just her mannerisms, the way she goes about things, the way she talks. It just I don't know. There's something about her that really irritates me. I think that's intentional. I think she's supposed to be what Carmen was when he was younger. That's why he's sort of when he met her, he was like, "Yep, she's the one." He sees himself in her and he's trying to fix her. Yeah, Kami is a takes one to know one operator. Uh, yeah, well, I'm just going to say that it, yeah, it's definitely my least favorite character is Sid. Fair enough. Yep, thank you. What did you think of her growing love of Mike Shusevsky? Oh, <laughs> I was a I literally have down here to mention her uh, the rec- weird recurrence of Coach K. <laughs> Uh, of course, Duke men's basketball head coach, former Team USA coach, Dream Team coach. Yeah, what's the go there? They, they sort of sprung that on us, didn't they? Just find, randomly finds inspiration from Coach K, which is, well, completely acceptable. Someone gives her his like, biography and she starts yeah. reading it and then by the end of the season, she's... She's printed out a photo of him and putting love heart stickers all over it. <laughs> She's like a hardcore basketball fan now. Like she goes to the bar and she's watching a basketball game and like noticing plays and stuff. It's like, okay, yep. She's full on into this now, which was another cool, like subtle character development that really doesn't have a huge impact on the cooking. I'm glad you picked up on that because I picked up on it straight away. And once I was like, why, what's this little coach K reoccurrence? Um, what else happens? Oh, he's the, one of those episodes almost starts with like a little coach K interview clip yeah yeah speech which is cool um yeah brilliant i thought that was brilliant what did you think of uh richie and his developments throughout this season where he starts out the season lacking purpose and not really knowing what to do with his life and like searching for a reason to be there he doesn't feel like he belongs and then episode seven is the episode where he finally finds his purpose and i think it's perfect uh, let's just say if I said Sid is my least favorite character in this, Richie is by spaces my favorite. Richie is that MFR. Mm-hmm. Episode seven, he becomes suit guy. <laughs> he becomes a suit guy. Oh, uh, he becomes he becomes suit guy. Richie. Um, Richie is outstanding. I am obsessed with Richie. Um, uh, that restaurant he goes to for work experience, um, blew my mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, like the fact what do they do they they research like they I don't know if the, the, I should, like this is so so detailed and it's obviously written by people who have experience in the industry and know their shit like this restaurant will re- research the diners who are booked in for that night whether they like being talked to they like small talk whether they prefer to wait longer for their meal or they want their meal quickly that blew my mind all that stuff like what their favorite foods are and stuff so they can like surprise them with a, a cool like dessert to finish. It's like. And he, they overheard that those people talking, they were leaving Chicago the next day and they said it would be so disappointing to leave Chicago without trying deep dish pizza. So then they deliver them fine dining deep dish. Bro, they get Richie to run, sprint down to the local pizzeria, pick up a Chicago deep dish pizza, run back 
And I was like, what are they going to do with this? I was like, maybe he'll just pull out a few slices and place it on the plate nicely. Oh, no, 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 no. The cookie cutters were gotten out. Gets the little ramekin, cuts it into a circle. Yeah. I, my jaw was on the floor watching that. I was like, this is so cool. I almost want to do that. The ultimate fine dining deep dish. I was like, mm, th- those two things ne- should not go together, but they made it work. What would you call it? The rise of Richie was by far my favorite part of this season too. Exceptional. Because he sort of, what brings this on is he, they he sort of introduced his daughter and his ex-partner, the mother of his daughter. Um, and he's, she's, breaking up with him he sort of wants to still be with her then she gives him the news that she's now engaged to someone else um and i think that he finally realizes that it's over and he needs to open a new chapter in his life and that's just when he finds his second kick of energy and his second lease on life and we get suit richie yeah and he he makes a couple of like big errors where first they're cleaning the mold and he's like oh the roof won't collapse touches it roof collapses Mm-hmm. stuffs up something else with the fire suppression system and then after he stuffs up the electricity box by trying to like steal power from next door Carmen sends him off to go and work in this other restaurant and they they get him to start from the bottom polishing forks and doing that for days on end and then eventually he gets to like shadow the the maitre d and follow them around and eventually eventually gets up to the point where he's taking orders and serving people and he finds his purpose of he's not supposed to be in the back he's the guy that should be out the front working the room making sure everyone's having a good time suit richie is that mfr and i couldn't get enough of him you know what else i couldn't get enough of richie singing along to the taylor swift love story in the car <laughs> yep that's got it that's a huge highlight of this season too um oh and once again we may as well touch on it now the soundtrack's impeccable Oh, Yet again, such a good soundtrack. Lots, lots of R, lots of REM. There's a nice little um, Eddie Vedder and Neil Finn cover of "Throw Your Arms Around Me." Yep, and there's a a punk rock version of the the show's theme in I think episode one or two as well, which was awesome. Episode one closes with a punk rock version of the theme song. I was like, that's sick. And a Taylor Swift, of course, Im- impeccable. Uh, what is that? that? Like episode seven closes with "Love Story" as well. Be- just beautiful. Now, after that episode six, when I got a second lease on this show and I sort of re-sparked my interest and it really started getting juicy, then they the Richie episode, the Taylor Swift ending, I'm like, oh, we're, we're cooking with gas now, man. Like, this is it. I, um, I wanted to sort of watch an episode a day. I was like, I am not waiting. I can't wait for this shit. One thing I wanted to touch on too, speaking of that fine dining restaurant and it happens throughout the show. It's probably the most common phrase used in this show. Uh, yes, chef. Mm-hmm. Comment below if you work in the industry, but I would like to know if yes, chef is that heavily used in real life. It fascinates me. Like just watching like Hell's Kitchen and stuff like that with like Gordon Ramsay. It's, it's pretty Good hardcore. Point. Like, I think it's a respect thing. Like just, just so much discipline yeah, and respect. Everyone knows who's in charge. Follow that one person. And the other quote that's used a lot in this season, every second counts. Every second counts. It does. Uh, there was a nice little gesture at the end there, wasn't there? Our friend who goes to Copenhagen with Marcus, 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 sorry. Mm-hmm. I think there was a sign on the wall in that, in that Copenhagen kitchen that said every second counts. Yep. 
I think in the last episode, he gets a package sent to him with a little note, which I believe was from, what you say, Will Pelter's Luca, Chef Luca, little handwritten note, and it, he's been sent the sign that says every second counts, and he props it up yep. in the kitchen. Yeah. I thought that was a nice little touch. Because that every second counts comes from the fine dining restaurant that Richie's sent to. True. It's their, it's their motto, and then Carmen's taken it, and Luca's taken it, and now Marcus has taken it, so like it's... Ah, uh, ha, ha, ha. It's found its way back home. Even when they're building out their kitchen and Carmen is like running practice runs and he's trying to get everything in with to down to five seconds, it's like every second counts. Essentially doing the beep the beep test, yeah. And he realizes after the kitchen's fully built that the reason he couldn't get it down to five seconds is because the pans are on the left, not the right, and everyone's right-handed. Uh, yes. Uh, it's a game of millimetres. Mm-hmm. What did you... Probably skipping forward a bit here. What do you think of the final product of the bear, the restaurant? Was it what you expected? Did you? Have, I'm, I'm sure you had like an like an imagination, like in your head of what you thought it might be. It was it was pretty similar. Like I, when I think of like a fine dining rest, like a modern fine dining restaurant, it's very like minimalist, and I think that's what it was. Yep, 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 yep. Um, yeah, it was a very like wine bar vibe with. Um, just some seating. Yeah, it wasn't. It definitely wasn't what I was expecting. Um, oh, I got a bone to pick with this show. See, I'm, I love most things in this, but I do have bones to pick. Like I said, those we keep talking about how slow those first several episodes were. Um, but one thing, what they focus a lot on, was the demolition and sort of rebuilding of the old restaurant into the new restaurant, and we learnt a lot about that process. So it was almost like the block. Not the bear. The first five episodes were the block. Then we sort of really, we're really involved in all that side of things, the remodeling of the restaurant. Then after episode six, when it kickstarts into the unofficial part two of season two, we almost see no progress. Then all of a sudden they're ready to open. What did you make of that? Did you also pick up on this? I think there's just a bit of a time jump between episode five and seven because I think they go from like two weeks out to need to be open in 10 days. But then by the time we come back from episode six, it's like week of opening. Like we're, we're gearing up to open. So there's like a week. So you're saying they've completely just skipped that whole stage where we would have seen progress. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I was, I was like, cause I was almost liking the <laughs> block style <laughs> drip feed reveals of this restaurant. <laughs> then all of a sudden it's ready. I'm like, what do you mean? It's ready. Like we've, I've missed a week. I've been away for a week in the bush camping and I've missed a few episodes of The Block and all of a sudden they're selling the houses. What's going on? What? I think the one benefit of those slow episodes though is it does allow us to build like a bit more of an emotional connection with each character. So then when we do get to those final two episodes and shit does start hit, to hit the fan, it hits a lot harder. Like you feel the heartbreak where you're like, oh, they've, they finally got what they wanted, but at what cost? Um, all right, where I cannot believe it's taken this long to mention this. We spoke about uh, some cameos and some new characters. Claire, mm-hmm. she's my favorite part of this whole show. She's a big, big factor in this season. Oh my god, this is moment I seen her, I was like, wow, hang on, who is this? Yes, she impacts Carmen, she impacts Sid, she impacts Jimmy. She's she's bad news, that girl. I don't. I think she's just. She's 
poor timing where Carmen, Carmen really needs to be focused and she's a big distraction for him. She's an old crush of uh, Carmen's who they've sort of fallen out of contact with each other then. She just miraculously appears next to him in the supermarket in the frozen food section. And she somehow asks for Carmen's number. He gives her a fake number. She doesn't like that. She. Tr- I think that's him subconsciously knowing I need to be focused right now. Yeah, uh, but... In reality, we find out he actually is madly in love with her and has had a crush on her all these years. Since that family Christmas. Big fan of Claire and she... There was an episode where she didn't appear and I was very disappointed. I think that's episode nine where she tries to ring him and he's just like way too in on getting everything done. And we later find out how important answering that phone call would have been. Mm Mm-hmm. Which broke my a little heart, and it's been nearly twenty. That was such a heartbreaking moment. Um, look, it's been nearly nearly twenty four hours now since I watched the last episode, and I'm yet to fully emotionally recover from what I've seen. Mm-hmm. It was full on. There was a lot going on. I um, I actually kept checking how long it was left. There was like three minutes left, and I was like looking. There was like two minutes left. I checked again. There was like a minute and a half left. I'm like, come on, there's got to be enough time for him to make up with Claire. Like, you are not ending this season with them two fighting and her walking out. I have, they have to make up somehow. And I'm like, there's a minute left. I'm like, oh, there's a minute left plus credits. This can't be happening. And it ended. I was like, you are kidding me. Very fitting ending for the bear. I think it would have felt weird if they did make up. So that spoiler confirms there's more to come of this genius television program. Pedaling back on Claire, I actually read an article, I think Vogue posted it, um, just an article on the impact of Claire in this show. It was a very interesting read and it brought up a lot of great points about mm-hmm. her. Um, just a hu- like how she's a hugely impactful character in like more ways than one and she's everybody's, every guy's dream girl, essentially. Dream random girl to run into. Yeah, she's like that first love. Carmen gets that chance and blows it. I, I just had so many mixed emotions that last episode. It was full on. It was 100 mile an hour. Oh, my God. It was a ride. You think about it, the way he blows up that whole relationship with her can kind of be credited back to her from distracting him in the first place because he misses the phone call from the fridge guy because she sends him a text. So he answers her text and then gets trapped in the fridge because he never answered that call. Exactly. So he, no, he was about to ring the fridge guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because he needed to fix the door handle on the fridge. And while he was dwelling on pressing call to the fridge guy, Claire rings him and he sort of pauses and dwells on that, looks at it and says, nah, nah, I'm just going to park it. And while that's happening, someone comes over and talks to him, distracts him, and he forgets both of them. Claire leaves a voicemail. Bloody, 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 blah. He gets stuck in the freezer. The handle snaps off. The show goes ahead. Opening night goes ahead. Goes on without him. A great success. Claire comes in unknowingly to Carmen while he's ranting essentially about her and about him, how he needs no one else in his life and he just wants to focus on the restaurant and his crew. Um, and burning bridges in the relationship. 
Um, yes or no answer from you right now, Jamie. Will they make up in season three? I don't think so. I'm saying yes, and she ends up working at the restaurant. No, not not happening. Do you reckon? Do you reckon she's done? She won't even be featured in season three. I think he'll try to win her back and just not succeed, and then he just has to go back to his one love of the restaurant. Interesting. I think just because like she probably thinks he already heard that voicemail, whereas in reality he didn't hear it until he was in the fridge. Hmm after he'd already blown everything up. So she probably thinks she said, I love you. He's heard it and then still blown up about her. Like it's just a bunch of crossed wires. Oh, yeah. Or she's like attended the opening night, assuming he has heard what she had to say and he... And then he's fobbing her off. That's why she storms into the kitchen to try and see him. It was a roller coaster of emotions. They did such a good job, those final few episodes. It blew my mind. Blew my mind. I... I just wanted more and more and more. And um, when he got stuck in the fridge, did you were you like thinking this might actually be good for him? Because like right up to that point, he's very like hands on, has to make everything perfect. And then I I was thinking like when he got trapped, I was like this is going to be good for him because he's going to come out and see. Oh look, they don't actually need me holding their hands. Like they can run this shit themselves. I'm just here to oversee it. Back on what we were just talking about, Claire, maybe he comes out of the fridge, sees how much of a great success the restaurant was and went without him. He's the brains behind it, but he doesn't necessarily need to be on the front line. Yeah, he doesn't need to be there every single day obsessing. He's poured his heart and soul into it now. He's got it off the ground. Maybe he needs to take a back step and maybe what happened with Claire is a wake-up call and... Maybe he will take that back step and maybe take on Claire again. That's a possibility, yeah. Maybe he walk out realizing, oh my God, I've lost Claire, but over what? My obsession of this restaurant, which just ran impeccably without me. So maybe I can juggle both. Thanks to uh, Richie stepping up and saving the day, coming in from working in the, f- the front of house to come in and running tickets in the back and getting every single ticket out in five minutes. Like, well done. And you know how, who else they um, succeeded without? That chef smoking crap out in the alleyway. They didn't <laughs> <Yeah>. need him. <laughs> they, didn't, they didn't need his ass, did they? Yeah, old mate Meth Head can piss off. That Marcus has to go on fire. I love how Marcus is like, I think I, ha- I think I have to fire you. Let me just go and find out. Let me just double check. I'll ask Sid. Hey, Sid, I, I just found that chef uh, smoking crack outside. Should I fire him? Yes, yes, you absolutely should fire him. <laughs> You fire his ass immediately. <laughs> yeah, okay, that's what I thought. Just, just checking. Another major character as well, Oliver Platt as Jimmy Cicero Kalinowski. Is he in the mafia? He has all of these business partners and connections to help them get all the permits and stuff they need, and he has all of this money. Is his character in the mafia? I'm pretty sure he is. Oh, he's his character in the mafia. He has to be. But we don't know his connection to the family, do we? He's at the family Christmas. He's just Uncle Jimmy. It's like, mm. Uncle Jimmy's out there wheeling and dealing. Yeah, like he, he gave Michael $300,000 that he never got back. And then they go and hit him up for another half a million dollars. Mm. This, guy's, this guy's doing some dodgy business, surely. Yeah, well, look, I'm telling you, there's odds and ends of all these characters I really want to find more about. Yeah, much less tension and stress this season. They 
straight up mentioned COVID and the impact it had on the, the hospitality industry throughout Chicago as well, mm. which was very interesting. I loved the the line that Carmen delivers that being a chef doesn't pay much, it doesn't amount to anything, and it doesn't really make any sense yet. Him and Sid are just so passionate about it. Yeah, something you or me just wouldn't understand, really, eh? <laughs> also, is Carmen selling every little piece of furniture that he owns to, like, put into the restaurant? Because when we go to his apartment the first time when him and Sid are experimenting <laughs> with recipes, he's storing his jeans in the oven and he has, like, no furniture. <laughs> I did notice that, but I, I just, I don't know, I, I didn't really think anything of it. I don't know. I didn't really give my chance to stop and think about that. Well, that, did they sort of only really show him in the, his kitchen? I don't know. That's a weird one. And his lounge room, and there's like no furniture in there. Why does he have so many pairs of jeans, though? I guess because he just wears them all the time under his chef whites. Yeah, that was a weird one, but I didn't give it that much thought. It's like, why that's happening? I just accepted it. I was just like, I feel like he's selling everything he owns and putting it back into the restaurant. To buy $55 plates. And not enough forks. Yeah, we get to see Sid sort of connecting with her father. and. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was cool. We get a lot of tension between Sid and Carmen in this season too, where I think she starts to realize I'm not an even partner in this whole thing and I'm doing just as much work. I'm not, I'm not technically an owner. I'm just a chef. I'm an employee, which is a bit shitty for her. And then Claire comes in, starts distracting Carmen, and then that puts another wedge between them. Hence, they start apologizing in sign language to each other whenever they start to yell at each other. Like, oh, sorry, sorry. Um, speaking of tensions, is there like some sort of love interest between Marcus and Sid? Uh, I think it's one-sided, but yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Marcus, his interest loves, interest in love, interest he loves, uh, Sid. Yeah, he definitely, uh, tried to ask her out on a date and that was awkward as all hell. Yeah, it was like the weirdest timing. I'm like, why are you asking her right now? They're about to have like green opening. Um, and he's like FaceTiming her and shit when they're in Copenhagen. I thought it was really cringe, like on his behalf. Another thing that I love about this show is all of the shots of incredible looking food. Like I'm constantly hungry watching this show. I oh, know that this is, this, this show is made by people who know their shit. Um, I got stuck on some Twitter thread about the show last night. Um, just people bloating how good it is. And someone actually replied saying, they work in the industry and they really didn't enjoy this. Interesting. I don't know. That's Everyone's different, I guess. Like, I, if I watched the show and, like, my job, I'd probably hate it because it just would mean, remind me of work. That makes sense. But then then back on, like, they sort of, if you're putting 12-hour, 14-hour shifts in the kitchen, you don't want to go home and watch a show about... About the stress of working in a kitchen. But then again, we just spoke about, like, the passion chefs have, like, you don't just do it. I don't know. I can't. This is probably way off, but you can't just, you don't, would just do it like as a job. Like you've got to be really passionate about it. So if you're passionate about it, wouldn't you want to like watch something you're passionate about? Yeah, I guess. Oh, everyone's different, but that was just an interesting take I've seen. How everyone was saying how great it was and how much they enjoy it. Then an actual chef comes on and said, I didn't enjoy this. But normally that point of view would be if it wasn't spot on or wasn't accurate and it wasn't realistic, where I feel this is bang on very realistic i think it's yet yeah, it's putting them off because it is so close to being real and it's like i don't want to i don't want to watch something that feels like i'm just at work again yeah it's got to be it 
And then, yeah, a couple of other little facts. That episode six was the longest episode of the season at an hour and six minutes. And I loved that when they flash back to the family Christmas, they pop up a screen that says 256 weeks to open. So it, it like ties it in that way where yeah. each episode was like, oh, we're 12 weeks out, 16 weeks out. And then this one was like, oh, we're going all the way back 256 weeks out. Which I quickly try to work out was like five years. Yeah, something like that. And Richie and his partner are together still and they haven't had their kid yet, who I assume is like five years old when we get introduced to her. So that sort of gave us all the info we need. Episode nine, we actually opened with the cast and director credits, which echoes uh, season one where we didn't get like an opening title sequence until episode seven of that season. And I think that sort of ties into your idea of like, we get partway through a season and then it like actually starts the show. Mm, interesting. I love how they do that for this show. It's like a trademark for that show. I didn't pick up on that. The final episode, episode 10, I loved the first like opening act was all, did you notice it was all filmed in like one continuous shot essentially? We're in the kitchen and then to get out to the front of the house, like they follow a dish that goes out and then it, the camera like, switches like moves and focuses on Richie and then it follows him around the room and then he goes back into the kitchen and then we go back to Sid and I was like that is so well done and it doesn't like make a cut until the kitchen like fails and then we start to get cuts now that you mentioned that I think I actually did see in like a post or an article or something about this continuous shot a few weeks ago god I'm gonna have to go back and have a look now yeah rewatch episode 10 like the first like 15 10 15 minutes is all just one one shot following the kitchen i don't think i can re-watch episode 10 we'll just watch the first 10 minutes <laughs> i'm not ready to i'm not ready to watch episode 10 jamie <laughs> not for a long while uh, and then the closing scene for the season as well with marcus's phone that that really hit me hard as well where he has all of the missed calls and the missed text from his mum's nurse Oh, of course. I didn't. Oh, I thought that was Carmen's phone. No, that's Marcus's phone. Because, no, no, yeah, let's wind it back a bit. Because when Carmen's mum, Jamie Lee Curtis, arrives outside the restaurant in a fluster of nervousness and doesn't want to go in, then they sort of have her storming off in a shot towards a don't walk sign. It mm-hmm. almost gives you the feeling that she's about to step in front of like a car or a bus. Mm-hmm. Then at the last minute, she sort of just continues around the footpath to the right. And she was very unstable and you just didn't know what was going to happen to her after she, after walk, she walked away. Then though, yes, those messages that popped up, I thought they were on Carmen's phone and they meant her mum might've had some sort of nurse that came and seen her. And yeah, right. Heavy. So it's Marcus's mum who is very unwell. So this is going to be, season three is going to be huge. Yeah. So I think, I think that's again, like all tying into that. They've all been working for this like mutual goal. Let's get the restaurant open. Let's get started on this new adventure together. Everyone's on board. And then they finally get everything they've worked all of this time for, but at what cost? They've all lost something. Richie's ex-wife is getting remarried. Carmen has just blown up his total relationship. Sid realizes maybe these people aren't like the best people for me to be working with. Or maybe she's not cut out for it. 
I think she's just realizing like when she goes and sees her mentor, they tell her like, find someone you can trust. And she's yeah. realizing maybe Carmen isn't that person because he's a little bit scattered and all over the place. Yeah. And then Marcus has just lost his, potentially lost his mum because he was too focused on the restaurant opening. Um, then we have the little um, moment between Natalie's partner. Oh, where he actually like shows some emotion for a change instead of being like this boisterous jock. Where he lets slip that they're expecting a baby and the mother, Jamie Lee Curtis, is just shocked. Like she, the first she's heard of it, um, which gives us sort of an indication of where she sits in everyone's life. If it wasn't clear already. I think she's also like keeping herself distant too because she talks about. Because she knows how messed up she is. She's keeping herself, she's distancing herself to protect them because. Yeah, she doesn't feel like she deserves to be in their life when they're having all of this success. Yeah. She feels like if she reintroduces herself into their lives, she's going to fuck it all up for them. So that that was another really emotional scene. Like this, that last episode did things. Hmm. And I think that's where those slow episodes work because it's like building, 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 and then everything just collapses and you're like, oh, gut punch. It's just so peckily put together, hey. And a couple of things I noticed in terms of like trivia as well, all the cooking scenes, they don't actually use hand doubles. All of the like actors did like training and stuff so they could actually put all of these dishes together for those scenes. All of the chopping and prep was done by them, which is very cool. That's sick. I rate that. I love when actors like really immerse themselves into a role and get the proper training. Yeah, well. They'll learn a language. They'll, like Natalie Portman did like extensive ballet training for Swan, um, for Black Swan. Jeremy Allen White went and worked in a um, fine dining restaurant for like two weeks to prepare. I just, I just love it. I just love it. Just love it. Uh, and in that episode where Sid is exploring the city, going to a bunch of different restaurants to get like inspiration and just taste a bunch of new food. They featured a bunch of real chefs as well, which I thought was a very cool touch to give this an authentic Chicago yeah. dining feel, like the dining sector feel. So we had a chef by the name of Michael Salzinski is the instructor at the culinary school that Tina and Ibra attend. He's actually a real life chef instructor like you could tell straight away that he wasn't an actor i didn't know who he was but you could tell straight away he wasn't an actor i was like oh this this is this is someone that i don't know who is but maybe buffs out there or industry shit like chefs or they might know he's an instructor at the le cordon bleu college of culinary arts in chicago there you go uh, and then we had donnie medea is the owner of a vec he appears as himself with some of his crew members where Sydney sort of goes on that dream tour of the Chicago food scene. There's another chef, Dylan Patel. He shows up cooking a dish in episode three. We get the head butcher and chef de cuisine, Rob Levitt. He makes an appearance at the publican quality meats place. Eric and Daniel Watt, who are two brothers and owners of the dumpling restaurant Lao Peng Yu. They show off their skills in that episode as well. And Daniel Posey is the owner. Uh, alongside his wife, Anna, of the Elska restaurant that uh, Richie goes and works at. Yeah, I, was, I wanted to look this up. So that's obviously an actual restaurant. Do you have a spell check on that? E-L-S-K-E. Very cool that they actually got some like 
legitimate chefs in that episode. Like when I was watching, I was like, I wonder if these are like real chefs. Very cool that they did that rather than just being like, oh, let's just get a bunch of actors and rent out these restaurants for a couple of hours. Yeah, for sure. No, this well, this show's authentic. That's no lie. <laughs> and that's that's probably Maddie Matheson's doing as well. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so in terms of rating, mm. what would you give The Bear Season 2? Better or worse than Season 1? I don't know. Oh, I was thinking long and hard about this in the shower. Like, I just like I wasn't. Even, I wasn't even going to give it a five because it's like too good for a five. Like, what? There needs to be more. But what do you give it? But now that we've actually, I've said out loud and I've dissected it. Oh, I'm gonna hate myself for doing this. It's not a five anymore. Oh, <laughs> oh it's so close to a five. It's a four nine nine for me. Oh, I don't know if I'm going to regret saying that. I don't want to, but um, yeah, just those first few episodes were just a bit slow for me and I'm still scarred by like how grim the outlook was looking. Like I was on such a high from season one and those first few episodes just started off a bit slow and there wasn't much context, action, dialogue. And I thought, oh, this is... They've lost their mojo. They've, yeah, they've failed to ride the, the coattails of season one. Like, like I said, I wanted to give this a five. That's the only reason I'm not giving it a five. So, yeah, four, nine, nine. Fair enough. I, I'm giving this one a, a five again. I love the show. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think. I, I don't know if I can say season two is better than season one. Like, season one is phenomenal television. Season two is fantastic as well. But oh, I know. I've told every man and his dog to watch this show after season one. I just think if you're going to pick a winner, it's it's got to be what happens in episode 10 and the episode 6 and this would get it over the line, I think. Yeah, that's fair. Jamie Lee, look, let's just say Jamie Lee Curtis and Claire get this over the line. And I think just because it is such a like straight continuation, there's no like big time gap. Like it's just, it's really 18 episodes of the one thing. There's no, okay, now it's season two. It's like, let's just continue the story. Yeah, it's just split up like a genuine like TV show. Yeah, that's The Bear Season 2. Get into the kitchen and watch the show. Yes, chef! Thank you for listening to the commentary booth. If you enjoyed the show, please remember to rate, review, and subscribe on podcast services and on YouTube. You can follow me on social media at Media and at Parrier Magazine. And you can follow Blake on Twitter at Captain Crumbs with a Z. The Commentary Booth is a fan-funded production of Jamie Apps Media. You can support the podcast alongside our magazine, Pario Magazine, on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Media. The following people supported at the community support group level or higher, and you cannot fathom how incredibly appreciative we are for their support. Brian and June Hart, Blake Robinson, Rena Renee, Courtney Paulson, Darren Hatcliffe, Jackson Carr, and Tracy Apps.